Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. We tend to focus on things that will make a great experience that need to be connected and integrated, we don't allow there to be dysfunction. So I don't mind if we have a third party, but the experience has to be connected and it can't feel disjointed to the patient. And the same goes for our physicians. And if we can't, then we can't make that work. Thanks for joining us on This Week Health Keynote. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engage. Special thanks to our keynote show sponsors, Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Press Ganey, Sempris, and Veritas for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. All right, I'm excited today to be joined by Chad Brezendeen, the CIO of St. Luke's University Health Network. Chad, it seems like every time we talk, my dad was in your hospital. My dad spent the night at, at one of your hospitals last night. And he's out today doing fine, but I appreciate the work that you're doing and welcome back to the show. I'm just glad you remember to uh, call me after, or talk to me after he has a great experience. So uh, I'm glad, <laughs> glad that he always seems to be doing well and uh, we're glad to have him and thanks for having me on the show. I mean, it, it's getting to the point now where my mom doesn't even, doesn't even call. She just texts, Hey, your dad's in the hospital. He'll, he'll get out tomorrow morning. I'm like, it really is it becoming that routine that it's not a big deal, but is he at our Anderson campus again? Yeah, he was at Anderson. And gosh, every time they go there, they just tell me that the construction that's going on there and, and whatnot. So you, you own a fair amount of property uh, on, on that site, don't you? Yes, we do. We have about a little over 500 acres there split up into two parcels, 250 and 250. But uh, really, really beautiful. We Started out with a uh, hospital there. We expanded it to an ambulatory surgery center and we have a, a whole walking park and we actually have an organic farm there, which distributes all of our fruits and vegetables through all of our hospital cafeterias and just a really great innovative campus with a really, and we built it in uh, 2010. So it's a fairly, you know, new campus, really beautiful. And, and, and it just keeps growing with the community. At one point, there was a, an ED, and the ED is now being repurposed, and they're building a new ED to, uh, and I guess all that was sort of in the plan, right? As it as it grows, it, different Yeah, we have right. it kind of modular. If you've, you've been to enough hospitals uh, with your background in mind that no one ever thought about a hospital getting bigger, and this, this has uh, all been part of, we think it's going to keep growing, but we wanted to start out small, and eventually can be however big we want it to be because of the way that they kind of modularly thought about designing it. And so it's really, really great. There was a couple of times as CIO, I got lost in, in our hospitals and I thought, man, that is a bad commentary, but, but they, they have grown over the years. And like this building's connected to this building, this is connected to this. And you just make a couple of wrong turns and you're sitting there going, this doesn't look like it's going to take me where I want to go. Yeah. I think that was always the fun part of orientation for people taking new people to the hospitals. Let's see if we can get this person lost the next time they come. They were, 
And actually that, that trick's been played on me as well. They ended up routing me down, uh, down into the basement and around. Cause they said, Oh, the conference room was down there. And yeah. in my head, I'm thinking there's no conference room in the basement of this hotel or of, of this, of this. When you uh, get dropped off on the mezzanine floor, you're in a bad spot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what was going on. All right. So standard opening question. Tell us about St. Luke's. St. Luke's. Phenomenal organization. I've been here since 2009. It is a 18,000-employee-strong, 3,000-plus physician integrated delivery network across what we call the Lehigh Valley, which you're very familiar with because your family's from here. And we are north of Philly about an hour, and we are west of New York City by two hours. And uh, really, really great organization, and we've been just expanding by 20% year over year over year, so it's been you know, a fun run. When I first got here in 2009, to give you a perspective on growth, we were 800 million in revenue and we're, we just surpassed 3 billion um, in the last, whatever, 13 years now. 3 billion, man, that's, that's amazing. When I, when I describe the Lehigh Valley to people, uh, I used to say Bethlehem Steel. No one really knows that because it went under so long ago, but now I say Lehigh, Lafayette. There's so many great colleges there, Moravian College amongst the Muhlenberg amongst others. And I went, eventually when I rattle off one of those colleges, they'll go, oh yeah, I know somebody who went to, to, to one of those schools. So those are all right there. Lafayette, yeah. great Laf- school. Yeah. We have, not to dive into the details, but we have 13 colleges all the way from D1 to D3 in the area. And we have uh, internships slash co-ops in IT and all of them. So it's really great that we have so much uh, capabilities really for, there's a lot of IT computer science tech back now on engineering in the area. So we're very fortunate. You have partnerships or relationships with all 13 of them from an IT perspective. I assume that that creates a, a pretty good pipeline of IT talent into your organization. No question. I was actually just meeting with one of them. We've got our interns, summer interns in right now. So we hire juniors and seniors through the summer and through other parts of the year where they can. Each one of my directors in IT takes one to two colleges, mostly one. And they all take at least two candidates for the areas. And then we, we tend to try to focus in on what we're trying to hire, like skill set wise. Uh, so it's a, it's a good process between HR and IT to really create momentum. It's great for the students. And we really look for kids in the junior or senior year that are local, that want to stay local, that are looking at health IT. Do you spend any time with the colleges and universities to talk about their curriculum and their program and, and what they're, they're training on? Yeah, we do, depending on the school, but yeah, different schools are very interested in modifying what they have. And with your background, a CS is a very evolving, evolving space. So we talk about what we hire that aren't, we hire people that don't have college degrees that have CS backgrounds. And we talk to them about what we're really looking for in those candidates. And so it's a good, good partnership between the schools. Not to tangent here, but this whole staffing and hiring thing is a a challenge right now for a lot of health systems. One of the things I've been talking to people about is when when you go through your list of IT jobs at St. Luke's, do you, how many of those jobs require a college degree? Is it most of them, I would assume, require a college degree? <laughs> we don't require college degrees. Oh, really? So you you feel like in almost, in, in a lot of cases, you can train them to do the job that you're bringing them into. Yeah, do. I mean, it's preferred, but it's not required. I mean, I always try to like, I like a blended team, right? A team that has a lot of different skills. So some of our teams, I really, I mean, if it's 
if it's fully a development team, you would expect there to be just pure developers on there. But even product people, sometimes that makes sense to not be a developer, right? UI experience, you don't necessarily need to be a developer. You can have learn that learn that trait. So I really like blended teams is what I call them. And if you really look at some of our Epic teams, a nurse right next to a computer science, right next to an analytics person, where they're all working together and huddling on problems and solving things together, even though they may all be Epic certified is it's kind of the dream team is what I call it when you, you're really mashing up these resources. So so what, what are the biggest challenges facing, uh, let's talk about your health system. What's the biggest challenges facing your health system right now? Boy, I think it's the same one everybody else is. I've talked to folks. But I mean, right, we're all getting kind of hammered with this inflation, supply chain's an issue, although we're managing it extremely well. And just the, with inflation comes salary costs, comes more demand and increased in salary and government hasn't been paying us more money. I mean, they did give us some money, obviously, in the early days to help us out. And I think payer, payer contracts are lagging inflation. And it's, it's um, I think the challenge across every one of us is we're, we're seeing some downtime, I think, across the industry. I think we're always used to see it would be like, oh, we have a bad year and some organization would do well and some organizations wouldn't do well unless... And you could probably educate me better because I know you talk to a ton of folks, but I, I really see everybody really struggling right now. Yeah. On the Today Show, we just reported on some of that, the Newsday Show, we were talking Kaiser, a billion dollar loss, Common Spirit, half billion, Providence, half, and these are operating losses. This doesn't include- Through the, through the fiscal year? Is that- No, no. First quarter. First quarter. Oh, for first quarter. I mean, these these are large, really yeah, large, yeah, organizations. Twenty billion dollars uh, in revenue, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Advocate Aurora was a quarter of a billion, two hundred fifty million operating loss and whatnot. So, but one of the things I talk uh, talk about is for them, they have so many levers that you know they can absorb those kinds of punches. When you get to a certain size health system and they're losing uh, just ten million dollars a month, that's that, that's cause for alarm. They don't have as many leverage the pool and that kind of stuff. Talk about the wins. I mean, we have an interesting environment. We're coming through a pandemic. We have some rough storm, rough seas, I guess, as it were, from a financial standpoint, some uncertainty with what the government's going to do with the public health emergency and those kind of things. But we still have to get things done. What are some of the wins that you would point to over the last last couple of years? I think some people have described it. The pandemic was you know, more of a change agent than anything in the last whatever 20 years. I've been in healthcare since 99 and we've moved the ball fast and every conversation, there was a lot less friction for the CIO is what I call it with senior leaders when we're talking about things and more, I think, leaders in the organization stepping up when we need digital within spaces. And so I think one of the things we did is we came out with our digital strategy playbook about nine months ago and it's just kind of a refresh of our IT strategic plan. We just changed the name of it, to be honest. And I know you've seen many pieces of that. So I, I think that's one of the positive things. And we have some leaders very engaged on what that is. And so that's a positive. We saw some flaws in our systems, if you will, in areas where we knew we needed more digital systems of record, but we didn't have them or we hadn't invested in those. So those kind of got brought to the top. I would just say, like, I was just at a hospital today. So we we opened up a new hospital on the Blue Route. You're familiar with 476 of it. Carbon It's a great, great hospital, 108 acres. And I was up there visiting today. And it's, we just opened up five months ago. And within five months, we're already having to expand the ER. 
add more inpatient beds. But what excited me the most was that there's six pieces of technology that St. Luke's is either the first or the second implementer. Now, I'm not even talking about the product vendor. I'm talking about the capability in the country to deploy. And it excites me that our senior leaders, we're actually meeting with an organization that we're a partner of, I won't mention on the call, but they're a healthcare organization, very large healthcare integrated delivery network in central Pennsylvania. You can look them up. And we're partners with them and they were on site and we were going through it. And, and to hear our president, our COO, talking about these technical capabilities as if they were the CIO was just amazing for me. So I think just seeing them not only go from pilot, but really try to get execution and really understand how those things are helping solve true business problems was, was, was a really kind of three hours of very delightful for me to just hear them talking and instead of me pushing. And it's just... That creates other problems, as we both know, Bill, when you get very engaged leaders. Yeah. But I would rather have the issue of pullback than, than try to push forward. And it's just, it's really great in healthcare to see that momentum. All right, we'll get back to our show in just a minute. I want to tell you about the podcast that I am the most excited about right now that I am listening to as often as I possibly can. And that is the town hall show that we launched on the community channel, This Week Health Community, and it airs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What I've done is I have essentially recruited these great hosts who are coming in and they're tapping people in their networks and having conversations with them about the things that are frontline kind of stuff. So it's, it's technical deep dives, it's hot button issues, it's tactical challenges, it's all the stuff that is happening right there where you live on a daily basis. We have some great hosts on this show. We have Charles Boise, who's a, a data scientist, Craig Richardville, Lee Milligan, Reed Steffen, who are all CIOs. We have Jake Lancaster, Brett Oliver, who are CMIOs. We have Mark Weissman, who is a former CMIO and host of the CMIO podcast, and now a CIO at Title Health. And we also have the incomparable Sue Shade, who is fantastic. And I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that she's tapping into her network and having some great conversations as well. I'd love for you to tune into these episodes. I am learning a ton myself. You can subscribe on our community channel, This Week Health Community. You can do that on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google, on Stitcher, you name it. We're out there and you can subscribe there and start having a listen yourself. All right, let's get back to our show. Not to give people another clue, but I, I did sit through a conversation that you and John Kravitz were having around uh, the patient experience and patient check-in and that kind of stuff. And you guys were talking about some really fun stuff that you were doing. Uh, give us an idea. What, what areas are you leaning in on? And you're saying, hey, new hospital sitting up on, on uh, 476. What are the things that you're saying? Hey, it, 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 is it consumer experience? Is it clinician experience? Is it connecting the two? What what are you leaning in on? I really think it is the the physical physical with the digital. I really think that's our our play right now that we're really bringing things together, making the experience better. Whether that's from an outpatient workflow perspective, whether that's making things more virtual altogether, whether that's remote consults or bringing bringing digital capabilities to our patients. Like we're at the hospital, for example, we have this thing called Tech Connect. And it's literally people, instead of having a gift shop, we don't have a gift shop anymore. 
we have a bar, a genius bar. You can go in there and get technology, but also those people that are work at that facility round on our patients every day. They make sure they understand the technology, both the ones that we have capable in the hospital, as well as make sure that they're connected when they leave. And so really making sure that not only do they have that experience that your dad has when he comes to our great campus, but making sure that stays beyond just going to your next physician appointment when you get there, that there's an experience in between that experience that we can connect digitally. And then when you come back to the physical, that that experience is great. Again, that the workflow process is great. And then when you go back to the, you're not in our physical walls anymore, how do we keep you connected there too? So it's really that whole digital, physical, digital, physical kind of workflow, if you will. Yeah. So you, you talked about a digital, I think the words you used were digital system of record. Is that accurate? Yep. So is that, so we have the the medical record, and we talk about that as the system of record, but you're talking about something that is the source of, source of truth for the digital experience, the digital transactions that are happening at your health system. Is that is that close? Correct. So is, is that a system? Is that a suite of systems? I know you're one of those guys who's gone all in with, with Microsoft. Whenever somebody asks me, it's like, what health system do you feel like has gone all in with Microsoft? I always point it at you. I, I think that's a fair fair assessment. Is it, is it something where you're looking at a suite of tools like Microsoft offers or is there a specific platform that you're looking at? Yeah, I think to answer it, we use Epic as our core system of record, as you know that clinically. We also have Dynamics, which is a Microsoft 365 product. We have the Health for Cloud, which is an integration platform in there. We use another company called Kensai, and we use the full capability of the Power Platform. And we're continue to expand all those capabilities together. And as you know, Bill, it's not ever one system, it's a system of systems kind of coming together. And that's that's our play. And I know other people are doing it with other competitors, uh, very similar into the space, but that's our, our play. Why have you decided, I, again, I think I'm fair in saying this, why have you put so many eggs in the Microsoft basket? What have you found as you've uh, sort of headed down that path? Boy, it's like uh, saying that you should have five different EMRs that's that's not a good idea because we we had hundreds yeah so at some point you kind of wake up and realize that there's a lot of redundancy and things yeah. and the more redundancy you can take out the you know less integration you have the better data you can manage data quality better there's just a lot of redundancy and non-necessary work that can be done and that work can be moved more towards solving business problems doing the frontline work versus kind of doing the middle integration layers and all that kind of stuff. So simplification and technology architecture stack has been one of the core fundamentals uh, for us moving forward. You talk about fundamentals and, and fundamental principles, which lead to the decisions. What, what are some other fundamental principles? You talk about simplification of that stack. I assume that helps with uh, training of people with reducing the number of tools you're using and those kind of things. Are there other fundamentals that you're looking at right now that you, you just look at healthcare and you say, Hey, we need to do these things in order to be prepared for what's next. I mean, we're always challenged with finances and it. So it's always got a economic side of it. That as well is when you get scalability, then, then you get value there as well. So it's again, if you're not paying for five EMRs or three EMRs or two EMRs now, Unfortunately, it's just like early days EMR. You wish it had all the capabilities it did. It doesn't. So that's a, it's an evolving over time, depending on the use case of where, where you can really get to as far as how much configuration, if you want to call it, versus true development or, or customization. But How do you um, determine if you're going to wait for that? <clears throat> so Epic's one of those things that 
They have a roadmap. Microsoft has a roadmap. You sort of look at it and you go, well, okay, am I going to wait two, three years? Or do you allow a, a new system to come in? Because in healthcare, we have a propensity to plant new systems all over the place until it, it becomes sort of unmanageable over time. Yeah, I wish I wish I had the best. I know what the best answer is, but I have a, another answer. <laughs> so the best answer is we know what processes in healthcare really should be differentiated and which one should be competitive advantage. And we really truly understand that in the business. And we determine the ones that are the transformational and we make sure that those are the system that we can get in place the fastest to, to create that transformation. And as we go further into the stack where they're less transformational, we you know tend to rely on systems of record. And uh, what I would just say is in the space, it's just a very evolving, we don't have a pure, business architecture, if you will, yet in healthcare that I think is fundamental that we need, but it is evolving, I think, into the business architecture side of healthcare. And I know, I know you have a background in all that, Bill. And yeah. so I would just say it's, we tend to focus on things that will make a great experience that need to be connected and integrated. We, we don't allow there to be dysfunction. So I don't mind if we have a third party, but the experience has to be connected and it can't feel disjointed to the patient if it's patient facing. And the same goes for our physicians. So we can make that experience good common UI or at least an optimal UI that's workable, um, e.g. SSO integration, et cetera, technical integrations, then we'll allow that. And if we can't, then can't work, can't make that work. Yeah, so I remember back in the day, I, I actually had this St. Luke's app on my phone and would look at it. And you were constantly doing some really cool things around that you, you had a you essentially broke apart apart the parts and put it back together is that one of the areas that you consider an area for differentiation is it experience is it digital experience at this point is that one of the areas of differentiation yeah it's definitely digital experience and and how are you doing that well i think that we have looked at some of our business processes that we think are transformational and we've made those custom where we believe that helps our patients stay better connected to us digitally and where we have it we use epic and core microsoft foundational capability or third-party vendor foundational but where we need to create that custom development bill you've been in our stuff we we're not we don't shy away from that but we're very thoughtful about where where we might do that how are you able to maintain that code over time because that's one of the things that happens and the app goes back a couple of years now do you end up with a lot of tech debt or do you just adopt the new things as they're coming down if they come down from one of your platform vendors we just adopt from the platform vendor over time yeah that would that makes sense hey you missed the interview this past week uh, a couple of weeks back actually with with joel venko and jeff sturm and we had a great conversation on innovation investments and uh, would have loved to have you there, but since since I have you here, I want to talk a little bit about that. A $3 billion health system, you do have innovation investments that you guys look at, and as as did the, their two health systems. But I put you guys in the category of mid-sized health systems, and, and they both agreed with me that that would be a an accurate assessment. When you get into the larger health systems, they tend to invest in maybe things that we considered venture and early stage and that kind of stuff. And they can, they can afford to make those kinds of mistakes, but the midsize, you're not able to make as many mistakes, I guess, with your, with your investments as some of the larger ones. 
just because you just don't have as, as much leeway. How do you how do you de-risk those investments? How do you well, let's start with how do you think about your innovation investments? Yeah. How do you we, go about doing it? We've been having a lot of conversations on this lately because we do this pretty pretty regularly. And when we I have a director of innovation reports to me and he, he laid out a really good framework for us in 2015. We, we kind of had two paths. One was project innovation, where we pilot things, we get change management, we learn about technical capabilities, that, that kind of stuff. And we, do, we have funding set up aside for that. And we have thoughts and where we're investing in, in you know, chances and pilots and startups and partnerships we'll, we'll make in those spaces. Then we have the investment side, which is the side you're talking about. And what we said is we're going to go as a mid-sized organization, I need to create some wins. So I'm going to go less risky from the beginning and work my way down to the bottom edge of that. And we we don't have a big team, as you know, Bill, when it comes to this. We're a mid-sized organization. I don't have, you mentioned some of the other organizations that I know are spending hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, we're spending quite a bit. And if you looked at our total portfolio, like if you and I both had $1,000, you'd look at this as, Hey, we can buy some Bitcoin, you know what I mean, every now and then, but we're not going to buy that much Bitcoin, especially where it's at right now. Maybe we should buy some more, but whatever, we're going to take some very low calculated risk that's not going to get a lot of so much momentum from the investment committee that they're like beating up the CIO every time that I come into the meeting, but more that it was more of a strategic play for us. So we started out with later stage venture private equity, and then we did well, and we moved down a cycle to more of your B rounds. And now we're focused more on C to A and we have partnerships across all of them. And we actually have some direct company investments as well. Although we're not trying to create a massive fund where there's hundred, hundred direct investments or anything like that. We're not trying to create a, an additional chief investment officer, officer, if you will, with an organization. What we've said is we need to align this with innovation because we get great relationships and partnerships with the startup world and with earlier stage companies at, at multiple stages. And in some cases, we may be ready to tackle an early stage or a startup company based on where, where it's at and whether organizational alignment hits that. In some cases, it may make sense for us to follow them on through these organizations. And if you look at them, a lot of, and I hate to say it, a lot of them are redundant, right? If, if you get to a C-level venture fund, they all have a, a telemedicine company or two or three, depending on the dependent on the play with it. And so we, we get to learn, we get to learn as those companies grow and we get to have deeper relationships with those organizations. And that's really what it's been for us. Although I have been reporting out positive financial returns on our investment portfolio, and that always looks good. My CEO calls it the CB fund, which is Chad Brisenon. Um, <laughs> we've been doing well in that fund and that, that has been thoughtful with a lot of internal teams help. And that's not just me. It's been our legal chief legal counsel, COO, CFO. A lot of those folks have been a part of our due diligence process to make sure that we do it right and do it well. But that's part of your investment portfolio, right? As an organization. But it's intent, Bill, just to make, make this clear. It's been about strategic innovation alignment. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So you're having conversations on the strategic side. You're looking at building out an experience for your for your clinicians or an experience for your patients or whatever. Or somebody uh, has a great problem and they're like, hey, let's talk to St. Luke's about this. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, we need to do this. This has great ROI or we didn't think about this problem. Let's do this. And so it's so really the external ideas coming into the organization is where we benefited the most. And so 
we do calls with these private equity venture firms and we're very connected with them to speed dial always conversations and we do that not only just with the ones we do direct investment with but just in general that world is very there's a lot of tight relationships within that world and they tend to pass good companies around to each other and have conversations with uh, folks that are really interested in early stage and so i think it's been really great for us the the title of the cio information officer are you are, are you mentioned earlier that you don't have another uh, investment officer but is there like an innovation investment officer that's part of your role cb cb cb, CB 2.0 <laughs> it's been a great learning experience for me you know just having to learn about all that and i've i've had some good external mentorship including board level mentorship as well as we've gone through it. And so it's not just me alone, multiple people helping me. We've got great, phenomenal people on our board that are investment people. They're investment officers that have done this in multiple areas and have helped us navigate and have conversations. And internally, we've got great, great organizational risk takers that look at things and really know what the right answer is when we need to do it. And so it's been a, a really collaborative internal and, and external. Do you have a, do you have a digital officer or does that, is that another role that you end up playing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So give, give me an idea, this is not a question, but give me an idea of your direct reports. I mean, so CIO, you have what reporting into? Well, you want to go in the IT side and then the yeah, yeah, let's, let's just stick on the IT side for now. Okay. Yeah. So for IT, I have communications, I have innovation, I have operations, I have security, and I have finance and strategy, and I have informatics, medical informatics. Wow. Okay. And, and your IT organization is is how big at this point? Four fifty. Wow. That's that's uh, actually, if I thought about it, it's comparable to what <laughs> what we were as a six and a half billion dollar organization. But it's comparable because we had this almost the same amount of employees. We had eighteen thousand staff uh, across St. Joe's, all those hospitals. And you have about that many staff across your hospitals. It's it's just a different California uh, taxes, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing about it is you take one of our one of our hospitals it could literally have five times the amount of volume that your hospital would. Uh, but some of ours were pretty small. We were in Eureka, California. That didn't get a lot of volume up there. So you, you have different things going on. Where do you think CIOs are going to be focused in on? over the next year, two years in terms of, of their role in innovation in the IT space? Yeah. Can, can I answer that into two parts? I By think there's me. always the role of what are we doing with our back office and IT? And I think a lot of the conversations I have, Bill, which we've implemented Epic on Microsoft Azure. I mean, I think a lot of CIOs are going to be either implementing or working on their plans for the cloud or trying to figure out what's next for their infrastructure. So I think that's near and dear to- Man, you, you do stay ahead, by the way. I think you were one of the first two in the country to put your, now people have said, oh, we did DR, but you did your ops, your operations are on Microsoft Azure for Epic. So I think you were one yeah, of the first Yeah, I think first I heard two. one of, there was a payer. I mean, if you look at health, I, I talked to the senior Epic folks and I think they said as a payer organization um, did, and I don't know how big it was that was on. And then we had, a, there was another hospital that was right before us. And then we, we finished up our full production, everything, 20 out of 20 environments in 2021. So we've been 
Absolutely. But I think, I mean, all the conversations I've been having with folks are just around the cloud and learning from that. And we've been sharing a lot on that. With other- what makes you be first or second? I mean, generally speaking, most CIOs are like, yeah, you know what? Let five people, let 10 people go before us. Let's see how it works out and then we'll do it. Uh, I just had a lot of belief that there's, it was, there's a lot of reasons why we should be early. And I was looking at ways to, we, we were kind of at a pivotal point of, do we go Epic hosted? Do we go to a third party? Do we replace this in the data center? And I had good momentum from the team. I think we all thought, you know, we needed to be in the cloud. We manage our own infrastructure. We do it really well. And we thought our team's are very, you know, Microsoft centric when it comes to, you know, tech stack and when it comes to engineering side of the world. So we felt comfortable, I think, migrating there and our team. i give you a quick example. We moved some servers in 2019. We had, before we got to Epic, 2019, we had moved like internet servers out there, my chart, other things. Yep. During the pandemic, all of a sudden, my chart blows out of the water on Monday when vaccines were coming. Our team scaled it up in like seconds to whatever the capacity was, like 5x the capacity was. They were like, all right, we got to get Epic on there because we keep growing by 20%. And we do this like, so it eventually became their momentum. Then it became my momentum. I was yeah. just, yeah, kind of planted the seed and we began moving down the momentum. And we had a lot of the strategic uh, work done with Microsoft to get us there from a security and all kinds. And my, my, we haven't talked about security, but my team went all in on security with Microsoft and a bunch of other stuff that we didn't talk about. But, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm all in on Microsoft and I've talked to a lot of other CIOs about why E5 licenses make a lot of sense. And so I just recommend if CIOs are on here or other organizations are on here, I'd say take a deeper, broader look of what you could do application rationalization on within your organization, within whatever stack you can do that in. And there's more than just Epic to be had out there. And uh, I'm not going to say Microsoft or someone else. I'm just going to say you should look at everything. And really, I think there's a, there's an opportunity there. The second thing I would I would say kind of kind of coming out and what's next is we have about seven areas where we're making kind of digital DI, digital innovation investments in, or we're more strategic on. And I would just say AI, you've been, we've been talking about that for three years. We've, we've been making slow, slow progress, but just like everyone else. And I think we're continuing to pivot on that. And I'm seeing some really exciting use cases when it comes to computer vision and some, some other things that are maybe more in the the imaging or image processing side of the world, maybe than just the EMR itself. So I'm pretty excited just to kind of see what unfolds between now and the next time we have this conversation, because it's uh, pretty interesting from more of an innovation standpoint. And then I would say from a strategy standpoint, it's really to try to take the power of what we built by Microsoft and keep expanding it. And I hate to say that, but just keep eating up other pieces of software in the company that we have. And then and where we have holes, continue to fill those in with um, strategic partnerships like we have and uh, startup companies where, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of innovation going on in, in many areas right now. And I'm very excited to continue to work with our, our startup companies. Yeah, you really do have an application rationalization as a core fundamental belief. It's part of your, part of your ongoing strategy. I mean, if it can be, if it can be swallowed up, the, the better. And I think that's how you're able to do so much in with the team that you have. You have the agility of the cloud. You have just the fewer applications you have, the less complexity, the easier it is to share data, so forth and so yeah. on. We're not scared to work with a new company that has a piece of software either. So it's like I tell my team, we may be 
adding 40 pieces of new software and taking out 20. So our net gain may be 20. The capabilities we're adding are way beyond that. So it's just this constant moving in and out. But as you and I both know, the fundamentals underneath the stack are changing for all companies. And that's really changing you know, what I call old dumb applications to really smart ones that maybe we thought could solve the problem in the past, but now can be solved. And that's what's been exciting to me now too, is to see these either the organizations take their existing software and make it smarter where it actually solves the problem even more efficient than what it was trying to do in the past or a new company coming in to, to actually solve the problem that was never solved that should have been solved in the past. And I hate to put that all on so many words, but it's pretty exciting times. Fantastic. Chad, as always, great to catch up with you. Appreciate your time and uh, keep up the great work and, and keep my dad healthy. We will keep your dad healthy and great seeing you. Thanks, Bill. What a great discussion. If you know someone that might benefit from a channel like this, from these kinds of discussions, go ahead and forward them a note. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to a show like this one. It's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, everywhere. Go ahead, subscribe today. Send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well. We want to thank our keynote sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Those are Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Prescani, Sempris, and Veritas. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.